Welcome back to the Self-Care Bestie Podcast. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you top five tips for future therapists, but I think you'll find, even if you're not a therapist, as most of my audience is not, as you listen, you're going to see that these tips actually apply to everyone. Okay, I'm doing this podcast episode because some of my favorite questions I get from readers are from fellow social workers or soon-to-be therapists. So when a reader asked me recently, what is the best advice for people who are in school to become a therapist, I was super pumped. I graduated with my master's in social work in 2008, so needless to say, it's been a while since I found myself in a classroom setting, dreaming big dreams about how I'd be changing the world someday as a therapist. Nerdy, but true. I've learned a ton of valuable lessons over the last 11 years working in various clinical settings such as schools, hospitals, hospice, and finally my private practice. And as such, I'm more than happy to share my top five tips for future therapists as well as a few stories from my early years as a social worker if you'll indulge me. These are the lessons I wish I could have asked someone about or at least had the foresight to ask about when I was still a graduate student with a shiny new laptop and that starry new social work lo- student look in my eyes. If you happen to find yourself in a similar situation, or again, even if you don't, I hope these lessons not learned within the walls of a classroom will serve you well. All right, the first tip is to learn how to leave work at work. You see, these can work for anyone. You may have had a professor or two touch on this topic as I did, but looking back, I wish more time had been spent teaching us what exactly to do to leave work at work. Largely, I had to figure this one out for myself. In my first internship as an MSW student, I worked at an alternative high school where I prided myself on my ability to connect with the students and get them to open up to me. We talked about music because, well, I still knew what was cool back then, not like today, and parents and partying, and I had no trouble whatsoever leaving the workday at work. My second year internship was at a bereavement center, and I spent my days counseling young widows, survivors of suicide, and even murder victims, relatives, loved ones, caregivers. So needless to say, my heart was shattered pretty regularly, and at one point, I found myself holding back tears during a session and feeling panic start to rise as a mother screamed and cried about her murdered son, Thankfully, I was merely observing the session and my advisor was doing the counseling. Afterwards, we debriefed in her office and I said, I honestly wouldn't have known what to say. I really don't know if this is something I'll ever be able to do. She looked me square in the eye and said, well, you can't save someone if you're drowning too, so you better figure it out. So a little tough love. So afterwards, I went back into the office. I shared with two other grad students to ponder her words. And I remember putting on a playlist of some soothing, happy music. And I began to write my note about the session. And I felt the tears spring back up to my eyes. Discouraged and anxious, I somehow made it through the rest of the day. I thought maybe I'd feel better if I talked to my husband about it. But then something happened on the way home. I had put on more happy music and I had this thought. I know I'm supposed to be a therapist. I knew it with everything in me. I was sure that was my calling. So if that was the case, and that meant I did have what it takes, then I could learn how to leave work at work. And I made the decision to start that very day. I belted out the words to every song that came on. And when I arrived at home, I took my time getting out of the car. Here, I thought, here is where I'm leaving what I heard and saw today. It's not coming in the house with me. It helped me to actually visualize leaving the tears, the panic, the poor mother right there at the car door. And that is exactly what I did. That evening, as I had dinner with my husband, I was surprised, 
well, actually shocked, to discover how much I didn't think about what had transpired earlier that day. We talked and laughed and enjoyed our evening together, probably watching America's Funniest Home Videos or Jeopardy because we were cool like that before we had kids. The next day, I went back to my internship and happily told my advisor that I figured out how to preserve myself so I wouldn't find myself drowning alongside the people I was trying to help. So the moral of the story is figure out what you need to do to leave work at work, at the very least so that you don't bring it into your home with you. Music was a big part of what helped me, and I found myself creating playlists. Okay, back then it was mostly burned CDs, but entitled Happy Mix or Joyful Songs, and yes, even The Way Home From Work Mix. Before you enter your house, or maybe even before you leave work, visualize yourself leaving everything about your day at work or next to your car or wherever works for you. I used to think if I could put those tragic stories away for the day, it meant I didn't really care or I was cold or unfeeling. Now I know I wouldn't have lasted a year in the field had I not learned to compartmentalize. In my opinion, it's the most important thing I've learned as a social worker to date. Okay, tip number two, find your own style and own it. This is another biggie. I'm a talker and extrovert by nature, so when I was told by my grad school professors that you aren't supposed to tell your clients really anything about you, I scratched my head. That didn't make sense to me. If I was going to therapy, I would want to know at least some things about the person I was talking to. Should it really be a completely one-sided relationship wherein the client did most or all of the talking and I merely nodded and reflected back to them? I searched in textbooks and found pretty much the same advice. Advice like, deflect any questions they ask about you, or answer their question with a question like, why is it important to you to know how old I am? That just seemed so unnatural to me, and so I didn't listen. When I provide therapy for someone, I want to show up as authentically as possible. I want to be me. As such, I share some personal anecdotes and laughs with my clients as often as I'm listening to them and providing guidance, because that's what I would want from a therapist. Someone who's just a human being who can relate on some level to what I'm saying and make me feel like it's all going to be okay. And someone who can converse like an actual human, not a robot who says the same thing back to a person over and over again. No offense to Carl Rogers. The point is, everyone is unique and has their own style, their own voice. So find yours and don't be afraid to own it. All right, tip number three, dedicate yourself to continuing education. As a therapist, you'll have to have a certain number of continuing education hours per year to keep your license current. My advice is this, choose your CEUs wisely and never stop learning. You chose this field in part because the work fascinates you. Let it always fascinate you. There's always more to learn and you will serve your clients best by dedicating yourself to ongoing clinical education. All right, number four, practice regular self-care. Oh my goodness, if I could go back and tell my graduate student slash new therapist self one thing, it would be this. We have to model health and prioritizing self-care for our clients. We have to model it for our families and friends. We have to practice what we preach. Honestly, that's why I started this podcast and blog and everything else in the first place is to further let it sink into my rather thick skull that the stuff I tell my clients week in and week out is actually based on science and perhaps I should be living it out a little bit more in my own life. And so should you. If you're looking for an easy way to plan your self-care, i.e. make sure that it happens, you can feel free to download the weekly self-care planner that's free on my website, selfcarebestie.com under the freebies tab. Okay, last tip number five. 
it's okay that you're not everyone's cup of tea. In our line of work and as a recovering people pleaser, it can be a struggle to know that as a therapist, I won't necessarily be everyone's cup of tea. I always tell clients to make sure they feel they connect with me or I probably won't be able to help them much. If you don't feel like I'm a good fit for you, you should definitely see someone else, I tell them, and I really mean it. After all, there's a million therapist fish in the sea. For my part, I can tell you that there's no better feeling than truly connecting with a client and using that connection to guide and validate them so they feel seen and heard and understood. And if I'm being honest, that's my specialty, connection. But I don't take it personally if someone decides I'm not a good fit for them, and you don't need to either. You won't be everyone's cup of tea, and neither will I. But those people you come home to at the end of the workday, you're their whole enchilada. So best of luck to you current and future therapists or just amazing humans listening to this podcast. You guys are world changers and I am in your corner always.